So what we are building is a banking environment where we will be able to take out deposits from clients and businesses right. and kind of like a zipper, you know, when you close, close a zipper, we rebundle fragmented money. Well, Jack, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for making the time. No worries. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Kick us off then. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, me and you, we've known each other for some time. So I will... Guilty as charged. I'll try to, I'll try to build up the story. <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> well, you'll tell the story of how we met. I think that'll be fun. Yeah. Um, I personally got interested in the world of blockchain and crypto while I was still in school. So I was a, I was studying marketing management at Copenhagen Business Academy, and during that time I stumbled upon Bitcoin. Being kind of nerdy and just interested in tech, I did. that was one of those things I just saw. And I remember buying two Bitcoin, and back then you could only buy it. It was quite manual. It was in 2013, so I wasn't you know one of the very early movers, right. uh, but still. I think everyone, even the ones that enter the space today, are, st are still considered early in the space. So, you know. How much did you pay for that? I paid Bitcoins? $15 per Bitcoin. $30 in total. Yeah. I remember transferring that money to a uh, Japanese exchange. I had to do a wire transfer. I think I paid more than fees from my own <laughs> bank to actually transfer the money to, to Japan. Um, but it was the Mt. Gox or MT Gox. Uh, oh. It was one of the first, you know, big exchanges. But. You know, if people know the story of Mt. Gox, uh, they did a bunch of shady stuff and they don't exist anymore. Right. And neither does my Bitcoin. They got <laughs> so hacked, right? They, they uh, got hacked and I think there was some fraud involved and I, I know there were, I think the CEO went to jail and I, honestly, I, I stopped following that because there was so much more happened in that space. But yeah. so when I, um, yeah, I got two Bitcoin, kind of let, let those simmer for a while, didn't really think much of it. And then I started seeing Bitcoin in the news a bit, you know, not news news, but you know, blog posts and online articles and stuff like that. It started coming up. People started talking about it. People started talking about it and they did so because the price started going up. Yeah. Uh, so when I logged into my Mt. Gox account, I had like $900 or something. Uh, okay. it was, so it was, it was a big jump. Um, can't remember the exact numbers, but sure. the exact jumps, but it was a big, it was a big jump. Yeah. And, uh, well, that kind of sparked my curiosity even more about this. What is this? What's, what is this? Right? Right. That was the, why is it worth right. hundreds and hundreds of dollars all of a sudden? Yeah, um, and other people think it's worth, you know, much more than what you paid for originally. Why is that? Why are people yeah. suddenly yeah. going crazy about this? And in such a short time, I mean, in, in just a few years, it doubled in price and then it doubled again, and then it doubled again. And it right. seems like it's keeping kind of the same exponential growth curve um, but back then you know it was there wasn't a lot you could do with it nobody really knew what it was ne neither did I really I wasn't really fully involved in it but I wanted to be mm -hmm. so I created a group on Facebook uh, called Bitcoin Talk Denmark mm -hmm. because there was an official Bitcoin Talk forum that where you know kind of it all started uh, the first official big Bitcoin community was Bitcoin Talk org i think it was called right so inspired from that i just created this kind of sub channel on facebook called the bitcoin talk denmark mm. try to find danish people who were interested in that sphere of, you know, of knowledge and that technology 
<clears throat> and that's still going strong. I'm, yeah. I mean, I think one of the biggest reasons I use, I still use Facebook, is because of groups, groups and events. Yeah. I think it's the exactly. only thing that keeps same. me going on Facebook. Same. same for me. And one of the most notifiable, like the groups that I see most uh, notifications from, is Bitcoin Talk actually Denmark. It's one of the good ones. It's uh, we started with only a few members, like so it was me and a few few guys and girls joined in whom i can't there were no girls <laughs> there was just a bunch of nerds and a bunch of guys just joined in and tried to talk about crypto with each other right right and then as the price of bitcoin rose the more media attention came towards it the more people started joining right. and then the more rules we started adding to the group grew the concept changed the concept of it like uh, got some moderators and stuff some of the early people to to help manage the group and now it's like I think 13 14,000 people but yeah. it's a so it's not the biggest forum out there but it's a quality one was there a lot of shit going on in the group like people spamming and all that kind of stuff because I think the group the reason why I still use it also is because people people actually post relevant stuff so there must be a moderator or somebody we don't allow we have, we have kind of strict rules yeah. like we don't so for example we saw that all of a sudden everybody started uh, posting referral yeah. links like yeah. hey if you sign up using my link we both get five percent and you know it didn't so we said all right you can post referral links if it's fo uh, followed by a an in-depth mm. kind of ar argumentation of why you did what you did why you think is cool or there had to be some kind of value in it right. you can't just post hey use my link use my link use my link. yeah and in the early days, start people started buying and selling to each other through right. the group. So we tried to structure that somewhat, like making a voting system where if people had a successful trade, they could give them a rating, mm. and then you could see who the top raters were. Nice. But as as this kind of grew, I stopped that because I realized that moving into a regulated way of doing things is not supported by these kinds of trading groups. Right. And people cheated each other sometimes. People, you know, had disagreements. And then people started saying to me, hey, man, Jack, this guy just did this to me. And this guy. Yeah. And Fuck I don't you. Want... You uh, were the reason why I got into the group in the first place. <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> that wasn't too bad. It was more like, uh, like, hey, man, this uh, this uh, Jacob mm. guy, he uh, left out 100 krona out of my payment. Can't mm. you let him know that, you know, he's a douchebag <laughs> no i can't i don't want to be in between this, these things right. so we we quickly stopped that and then it, it, it just stayed as a forum of conversation and, and right you know to this day every time something new happens you know it, it gets discussed in the in in the group and there's tons of info right. but basically through that group i um initially it was a few hundred people and then you know a few thousand but in in the time where it was only a, maybe a, a handful um i look for an internship opportunity with a crypto company right there were none so i just wrote in that group like hey people do you know any crypto businesses mm -hmm. and then a guy contacted me who was running a business called beeps mm -hmm. and you know for those who knows the danish fintech crypto scene they are the ones that merged with bitcoin nordic and then became coinify mm -hmm. so i i became a part of coinify very early on in the in the process right. being a marketing having a marketing uh, degree and I did an internship with them and um, that was kind of the first time I really sunk my teeth into the professional world of, of Bitcoin and blockchain yeah. 
And what does Coinify do just for the people who are not unaware? Coinify, they make it easy for businesses to accept Bitcoin payments on their websites uh, or their physical shops. Yeah. Um, and they also uh, enable a buy and sell service for regular folks to you know, buy their first Bitcoin. Nice. Uh, my focus was mostly around the business aspect, getting businesses to accept crypto payments and, and blockchain based payments. Mm. Uh, Bitcoin only back then and then they kind of added more cryptocurrencies to their portfolio how did that go because I don't see a lot of at least in Denmark I don't know uh, there were more back then accepting Bitcoin payments more shops in Copenhagen back then when I worked at Coinify than there are today really Wow. Yeah, because I don't work there anymore. So. <laughs> no, it's um, it's it's a it's a tendency that we see right. because the reason for businesses to start accepting Bitcoin payments mm. is not as apparent as the ones who want to pay in Bitcoin payments their needs. Mm. Like if you have Bitcoin, you want to spend it, but there are smarter ways. You can get one of the crypto debit cards. You can get, right. get other ways of actually spending your Bitcoin without really trying to convince a shop or a merchant to start accepting something new. Right. And also something very important in that is the price volatility of Bitcoin is not tangible. It's, not, mm. it's very abstract for, for businesses and governments and taxation authorities and, and kind of mm. everyday payers mm. to use and utilize. Mm. I know that firsthand because during the, my marketing time in Coinify, uh, I said, let's do... Let me try and see if I can live one month only on Bitcoin. Give me my salary in Bitcoin plus like 10, 15% or whatever for the hassle. <laughs> and, you know, and I'll try to live only on Bitcoin. And, and when I, is this? This is 2014, right? 14, 15. Yeah, something uh, like that. Around there, yeah. And that's where you got the infamous name Bitcoin Jack. Yeah, so yeah, the, the, it was my short... Uh, famous moment because I was tweeting regularly <laughs> I was tweeting regularly like okay now I'm in this shop and I'm trying to do this and I'm kind right. of, and as some media sites they did they covered the article so whenever I tweeted they wrote an article oh, really? I kind of had that f small feeling of being stalked by the media uh, well it was Veshon and it was hmm. another Danish uh, I can't remember the details of some while ago. Yeah. yeah, but it was fun. Yeah, and and they dubbed me Bitcoin Jack, um, <laughs> which I didn't mind. It was it was kind of fun. And you must be spending a heck of a lot of money when you look at the price of Bitcoin today. Well, I got a tattoo, right? I got a B because I convinced my tattoo artist, a lady, lovely lady, to to accept Bitcoin payments. <laughs> I am the only person. Last I spoke with her, I'm the only person who has have since paid in Bitcoin. There has only been me. But okay. she has kept those Bitcoin, and so, she is she is quite happy with that. I can't remember <laughs> how many killing, maybe, maybe maybe two Bitcoin, two whole Bitcoins, or three whole Bitcoins, or something like That's that. Right. Now with a with a price of twenty thousand dollars per coin that we saw some time ago, and that we might see again. That was uh, That's the best deal that she ever made in her tattoo shop, at least yeah. probably. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that the. And that was just a tattoo. You must have, you know, you had other no, expenses. I paid, I paid friends to drive me around because I couldn't take the bus. <laughs> I had to uh, eat uh, on Hungry DK, like kind of an online pizza, whatever delivery service. I just eat a whole dog. Yeah, but they they had Bitcoin payments uh, okay. through Coinify. Okay. So I could food was all right. You know, I I could eat. Um, I remember one day the Hungry hungry was down or something and I couldn't order food I'm like shit how, how, how do I get food right? <laughs> the media is watching <laughs> they need to know what I eat <laughs> no it was um, 
it was fun. But the reason that that shops mostly don't accept Bitcoin today, Bitcoin payments today, is that, like in its pure form, right. is that handling Bitcoin is still intangible and volatile. Mm. You know, there are also plenty of people who lost their coins, mm. who you know suddenly got a new phone and their wallet was gone and mm. threw people who threw away their USB keys and stuff like that. So it was still a very nerdy, very techy kind of thing. And, and thinking that shops should accept Bitcoin payments in its raw format mm. was a, quite of a naive yeah. mindset from the world of, of crypto enthusiasts. And I guess that uh, a good example of that is how we met you and I. I think we met just before you became Bitcoin Jack officially. I uh, think so, yeah. I, I, was, I think I w- it was while I was doing the marketing degree. After the marketing degree, I spent a few years, I think two years working with Coinify, maybe more. Uh, And then I went back to school, studied innovation and entrepreneurship. And there my, I I, I tried really started building upon Bitcoin and crypto and really started. So I think that we met while I was actually still doing my first degree. It was way before the whole Bitcoin Jack thing. We, yeah. we were in the school incubator yeah, next exactly. to each other. I remember it as 2013 or something. Maybe, uh, maybe. So seven years ago, more or less, because it was around Juleforest, uh, mm-hmm. the uh, Christmas lunch that we always have. And right now, today is 20, December, November 20th. Uh, so yeah, probably, you know, almost seven years from now or something like that. Yeah. And I remember it vividly because I've always been into technology, I've worked with technology my entire life. I actually mined Bitcoin when I was at university myself in 2010, 11, I remember it as, just on my computer because back then you could do that. But yeah, you could that. Yeah. Um, was it a laptop? Did you mind from yeah, that? Yeah, on a, just a regular laptop back then. Uh, do, you using, remember, do you remember how many, co- uh, if, you, if any, how many yeah, Bitcoins I th- you got? Yeah, I think I, I remember it as two or three Bitcoin. Yeah, and nice. I completely forgot about it, right? Just like everybody else, you know, I bought a new laptop. I completely forgot about the Bitcoin, and then a few years after, I realized, holy crap! I could yeah. have made, I could have bought ten laptops with the, with the Bitcoin that was on it. But um, well, every every lost coin is a donation to everyone, everybody true. else. Right? So there will only be twenty one million Bitcoin. Yeah. You just lost three. Yeah. That those are gone, like destroyed gold. It yeah. will never come back again. So thank you for the contribution to the rest. You're welcome, guys. I, I wish I had a bunch myself, but uh, I think <laughs> the ones who have Bitcoin see it like that. Yeah, I guess you can see it as charity. That's a nice way of putting it instead of kicking yourself yeah. over it. But anyway, so I've mined Bitcoin and uh, just, I guess, lost interest. There's a lot of other things going on. And then uh, we met and, you know, you, you sort of, you know, I got interested in Bitcoin again after meeting you because you said, listen, it's not only about mining. You can also send, receive, you can do it on your phone. I was like, okay, Jack, you need to show me this. Like, <laughs> how does this work exactly? So I downloaded this Jack's app, which I'm sure is still working. Is, it wasn't my, my app. Yeah, uh, it wasn't say, yours. <laughs> J-A-X-X, I think yeah, it, was, yeah. it was called, right? Well, very similar to Jack. Yeah. <laughs> Never thought about that, actually. But anyways, I downloaded the app and then you sent me, I, I, believe, I remember it as a 0.1 Bitcoin which is worth like $2,000 today, I guess. And um, again, just like my laptop, I completely forgot about it throughout my <laughs> phone. So that's also somewhere. So I've been donating a lot, I guess, just yeah, like everybody yeah. else who's been early that's in nice. Bitcoin. That's you've been a charitable guy. <laughs> but that's, uh, that's how we met. And uh, you actually, and I think that's an important point when it comes to Bitcoin and blockchain, you know, people like you have created an interest around Bitcoin. You created a group. 
you've gone around in the world, you know, spending Bitcoin, uh, sending Bitcoin to people like me. And today I'm, I'm very involved in blockchain and, and cryptocurrency. And it all started, to be honest, with, with you sending me that Bitcoin. And it's like, okay, holy crap, you can actually send and nobody's checking. There's no checks. Like, it's completely open. It's open source, which is something mm. that I love, of course. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. And that's the cool thing about Bitcoin and, and the cryptocurrencies in general. They are community driven. You know, it's, it's like the old days when you heard about new, new cool stuff. You didn't mm. hear it from an advertiser or the media or, or the government. You heard it because you knew somebody who used this or, or saw it or somewhat, something like that. Yeah. And that's kind of the essence of community-driven technologies and open-source technologies. Mm. So I'm, I'm happy that I could help plant a seed. You know? <laughs> yeah, and I think you've probably done it to a lot of people, not just with the media, but in general, just you being you going around and, and sending. I remember I did it on Reddit once. There was, there was this thing called Change Tip, mm. where, you could, where you could donate small amounts of Bitcoin to people uh, by just tagging them and their username on Reddit. Mm. And... And Twitter and stuff. It was, a, it was a kind of an interactive thing. But so if I said, you know, at Mark, mm. uh, one coffee, right. it would send you five dollars or four dollars or how, however much the mm. predefined price was. Right. So I did. A, I remember making a Reddit thread once where I said, oh, if you can make me laugh, uh, tell me a joke and I'll give you Bitcoin. <laughs> so I, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a kind of a cool thread starter, and then. If somebody said a, some, a fun joke, I could right. just tip them a few dollars. Damn. So they are, you know, it becomes really easy to send value, mm. similar to how you can send a tweet or how you can send anything else. Mm. So for a lot of, of people, this was weird. Mm. Like, can I actually just receive $5 from this random guy on Twitter? Yeah. Like, what? How? When? How did and this I can just happen? create like, a wallet myself. Nobody checks yeah. on me and nobody yeah. collects my yeah. passports. Yeah. Yeah. It's a new, it, new it wasn't new it was a paradigm shift and you know i realized that in my time in in, in coinify and having worked worked in this space but yeah. now you know it's a decade after mm. and we there's so much that has happened in this space uh, that the conversation is not about bitcoin anymore it hasn't been for a long time mm. bitcoin is interesting don't get me wrong it's, mm. it's fascinating mm. um still to this day and i think it has a future also mm. however the naive mindset that the crypto enthusiast had is is no longer here like it's a, we've learned mm. and realized a lot of things mm. so for example things like people are not as tech savvy as we might expect they are right my mom and dad and sister and family is not going to use bitcoin in its core and raw format yeah so i think that now we're in a time where there's so many different things happening, but more, most importantly, that the real world of regulation and the real world of finance and real live exchange services and liquidity providers and all these financial entities are, are not starting, but have gradually realized over the last few years that this is something they need to enter. Right. And we're seeing the growth of uh, concepts like uh, securitization of assets, where you have real life assets like gold and silver or electricity or uh, you know mm. uh, represented as an iou on a blockchain yeah well that means that you now have a token that you can transfer like you can transfer bitcoin or ether or whatever you want you can transfer this without the barriers that are usually in place to transfer those kinds of objects mm. so if you want to trade energy well there are processes for that with plenty of middlemen mm. 
if you want to trade stocks there's plenty of processes and plenty of middlemen mm. and these are the barriers and structures that are being broken down mm. by enabling the movement of actual traditional assets mm. forget the world of crypto for a second but actual assets mm. using an open source technology mm. crypto cryptocurrencies in their raw format are like the gasoline that runs the engine it's necessary it's needed you need ether to purchase gas and pay the miners and, and run the system Network, yeah. but that does not mean that systems being built upon the blockchains right need to even understand and know that a blockchain is involved that gas is involved right right so so we are moving into a world of facebook libra of jp morgan coin of euro chain of fed coin of chinese government central bank money on the blockchain moving into the world of securitization of actual assets and regulated securities exchanges mm -hmm. and my company arise uh, which i created uh, after being with coinify for some time and i ended up running their innovation lab where we were building a bunch of cool prototypes and, and proof of concepts on different stuff using blockchain and programmable money right. but we could never reach the phase of implementation because as soon as we wanted to implement it in the real world using you know partners with ngos or governments or different use cases who are focusing on you know remittances or salary payments to third third, third world countries and whatnot it was always very difficult to reach the implementation phase right. because of the price volatility because mm -hmm. of the fact that bitcoin is in, intangible mm -hmm. is difficult to use and is not understood by regulators right. paired with a bunch of you know terrorism a bunch of drug money a bunch right. of fake news a bunch of whatever right. you may put in that pot of bitcoin yeah so that part is kind of being fragmented now and new things are become coming to exist right. and the company that i've created now three or four years ago is um is called arise and we're creating what we call digital cash we want to create a digital representation of sovereign cash money mm. like a hundred dollar bill a digital representation that can operate on different systems and blockchains and different banking systems. Okay, so and both the sort of old world, the financial systems, etc., the existing system in place, and on blockchains, the new fancy technology. Because the way I, I normally like to see it is that you have centralized databases, basically, the financial systems, you know, you have JP Morgan, you have Bank of America, whatever bank it is, they have their own siloed system. They maintain that. Mm -hmm. And actually, ironically, they normally use some open source technology in there to, to build their siloed databases and, and systems. Because it's often better. Yeah, exactly. And then there's the new worlds that Bitcoin has pioneered with blockchain, uh, basically distributing data across a network, which needs to be maintained by miners or what have you, depending on the mm -hmm. consensus mechanism. But Arise is actually or is, is, is building a bridge, you can say. Yeah, to exactly. That's, what, that's the phrase we use as well. We're saying we're bridging the gap between the world of finance and the world of crypto. It, essentially, we're breaking down the silos because we can create an online bank, an online banking system, but it's yet another silo. It only mm. works within our system and our framework. Mm. But in order to, make, to create true programmable money, right. it means that it needs to be, its movement needs to be controlled or, or facilitated by a platform which is not ours mm. an open platform mm. so if we take ethereum for example you can have the jp morgan coin you can have facebook libra and you can have a third stable coin it's called right. uh, transferred 
on the Ethereum blockchain. Mm. Um, so you can actually transfer a JP Morgan dollar mm. on an open source blockchain. Mm. Now, what Arise wants to create, and again, it's called digital cash, is because what you would be able to transfer the electronic dollar, the digital dollar, whatever we end up calling it. Sure. It is not like a JP Morgan coin where it's an IOU representing a dollar deposit that you keep with JP Morgan. Mm. It is a digitalization of actual cash money. And there's a vast difference bet between bank deposits and cash in your hand. Right. Uh, besides one is digital and one is a piece of paper. But the piece of paper is actually more secure in, a, in the sense of credit risk. It has sovereign backing. It has government guarantee. A $100 bill will forever remain a $100 bill. Right. Forever. Right? So Until the Fed goes down or the U.S. wants to apply a new standard yeah. or whatever might happen. Whatever might happen. Some, th some things do happen. But mm -hmm. uh, in the case of, you know, global finance and global trade, mm -hmm. the dollar is still a very active uh, element of that and in, in of use. And there's somewhat a lot of trust in the dollar. Yeah. But as soon as you take a $100 bill and you deposit it into a bank account, it becomes the property of the bank. Right. And what you receive in return is kind of a debt instrument. They owe you now $100. It's an IOU, right? It's an IOU. Yeah. So the bank now owes you $100. Yeah. But that, that can change. You know, that has changed. Banks, right. they do go bankrupt. Right. Banks, they do commit fraud. From the smallest to the biggest bank, as we apparently see also from Denmark. Right. And there's a lot of analog activities associated with the way that banks, they handle customer money mm -hmm. but most importantly is the fact that they take on risk when they offer credit mm -hmm. and lending activities mm -hmm. to businesses and, and retail and regular folks right right so whenever you go into a bank account uh, into a bank and you want to borrow ten thousand dollars to buy a car well that doesn't mean that somebody has put in ten thousand dollars into your account and now that, that money is yours mm -hmm. you have the bank which has a permission that based on a fractional a fraction that they keep in the central banks, they are allowed to print, kind of yeah. add money to the money supply. Right. Um, thereby, the bank, that's why the, that the, the banking system is called you know, a fractional reserve banking system. That's, that's how it operates. That's how banks operate today. Right. You take roughly, out of $100, you put roughly $10 in the Fed, Mm -hmm. And you use ninety dollars for lending. Right. It, that's that's what it means to be a bank. Right. So one hundred dollar deposit becomes much more than one hundred. It becomes ten times more. So actually. you lose its ownership of it. Yeah. And you rather exchange trade the ownership of sovereign cash money to a part of the bank's right. promise. Like right. you, you, it still has value. It's still a bank. It's still a you know a promise from a bank. Right. But it doesn't exist physically one-to-one -one, right. uh, like cash does mm. so what we're building is a banking environment where we'll be able to take on deposits from clients and businesses right. and kind of like a zipper you know when you close close a zipper we rebundle fragmented money meaning okay. when we get a hundred dollar deposit and say from a bank account right and it tr is transferred to us right we t we receive that transfer but we don't do any lending and we don't create any credit we place those funds back into the central banks where they're initially printed. So no fractional research like you No, you, that would that would answer one to one basically. Yeah, exactly. That would be the, the that would be full reserve banking. Yeah. The, the concept of full reserve banking. Right. In today's terms, we use the words uh, uh, central bank digital currencies. Uh, that is essentially what uh, 
when we're talking about central bank digital currencies mm. like you know, happening in china like you know fed coin like euro chain like all these things that we're talking about right. conceptualizing um is essentially a way of looking at that issue mm. but the way that stable coins operate today like the jp morgan coin like the tether dollar like all of these stable coins on a blockchain mm -hmm. what well, they all have the same kind of credit risk or even worse credit risk than they would have just had the money in a bank okay. so it's a part of making money programmable right but what you're making programmable is not actually money it's a an iou a right. bank iou right and in the case of for example tether there's been a lot of controversy around how they keep their money safe which banks mm -hmm. they use and how they actually prove their solvency and are have they, they proved it because there's still some i i do not know the details of, of their conduct to be honest well, and i don't want to badmouth anyone in the space but sure. but i know that it doesn't follow the standards that you would expect from bank of america or, mm. or jp morgan or or you know they don't follow the very strict regulatory clearances that are needed in order to operate those kinds of services right and there are plenty of ways how you can use tether to launder money mm. right so so it's not it's not a great thing mm. uh, but it's a step towards making money more digital right so the jp morgan coin on ethereum mm. yeah it, it can be used on ethereum is really smart and you can transfer it you mm. can transfer it from a to b mm. using only gas and miners that's really cool and you mm. can you know break those silos the jp what? morgan coin is that just a stable coin to dollar that it is to, yeah okay. it is it's yeah. a dollar deposit with jp morgan right what we want to do is create something similar to those that environment. We want to make dumb money smart. We want mm -hmm. to make analog currencies digital. Mm -hmm. But we want to take it a step further saying, well, similar to cash, deposits kept with a rise should be owned contractually by the depositor. Okay. The, it's, the it's bank is not, you're not a bank, basically. You, well, you're, you're essentially facilitating to, the transaction. We would need to operate under licenses that are given to banks. Okay. But the definition of a bank is a financial institution that is permitted to offer credit and lending, and, and credit and lending. Yeah. We just don't. Right. We we keep the we we need to become somewhat a bank to obtain the relationship with the central banks mm -hmm. that are needed for us to actually offset the credit risk into central bank deposits. Okay. So, yeah, we're kind of becoming a bank, but not in the traditional ways that banks work. We're creating a full reserve bank. Mm. And an important part of this is saying, well, now we have a deposit with us. It is owned by the bearer, meaning it's your deposit. It's a bearer instrument. So you contractually own the actual $100 that we keep. Right. That, mean, that means if a rise should go bankrupt or go away or do anything, right. the money exists. Right. The underlying deposits are still kept in central bank deposits and reserves and treasury right. bills or other instruments that have government. You hold your own keys, as we normally say in blockchain and crypto. Yeah, yeah. but not in, uh, in, in, in this model, it wouldn't be a literal, as literal as in the world of crypto. Right. You would have an account with us, an online bank, mm. and you would have some rights. And in the case of Arise's disappearance, there will be processes where you, through regular, uh, through legal channels, can obtain and prove that the money is yours and then claim it. Okay. However, one thing that's really important here is the step one is building a full reserve bank, integrating with the world uh, and the banking ecosystem that are in place and being able to accept deposits and offset risk with central bank deposits. Mm. However, once money is fully digital and fully backed, we can then issue, we have built a mechanism so we can issue or mint 
IOUs on third-party ledgers. Hmm. So if a client wishes to use Ethereum, if a client wishes to use Stella or Neo okay. or Tron or whatever blockchain may be of okay. interest for that individual client, they can then issue cash hmm. onto their preferred ledger. Hmm. And that enables tons of opportunities for customization. So you're agnostic in a sense to I, what blockchain people want. I'm as have. agnostic as an ATM. Whatever you, when you take money out of an ATM, nobody decides what wallet you keep it in. Right. Like you decide what wallet you want to use. And if right. Mask wants to use Ethereum for something, right. if TradeShift wants to use Stellar for something, if a, a, an Asian company prefers to use Neo for something, or they need liquidity on Tron for hmm. something, right. they should be able to issue cash onto whichever platform they wish to use hmm. now in our banking environment our app is called mama it stands for multi-asset modular app right now that's a really cool and like modern payment app inspired by the way of doing things in denmark hmm. we're one of the most digital countries in the world 95 hmm. percent of the danish currency is digital and we kind of kind of know how it's done in a smart and seamless and sexy way right a hmm. modern solution hmm. so this application in itself will be used by a lot of people it will so because of its modularity and customizability and there's a bunch of cool aspects of the app mm -hmm. but the essence of it is that it is where digital cash lives and it is where digital cash can be sent to other places from right but the, we need to create incentives to keep the money in the mama ecosystem right rather than withdrawing to PayPal or yeah. withdrawing from an ATM or whatever it may be. Right. So by having the interoperability feature, feature to blockchains, mm. we can actually create, we can actually take solutions that live in the world of Ethereum and offer them to the users of Mama through what we call modules. Mm. So we can look at what's out there in the regulated world of lending and finance and coins and rewards and travel Right. cards and whatever right. but we can also look into the world of blockchain and staking solutions and distributed apps and all kind of innovation innovative stuff that happens and make those solutions available as modules right. to users of mama so we are truly bridging the gap between between the world of crypto and the and the world of traditional banking um, and and the interoperability aspect of the minting mm. IOUs onto third-party ledgers. That mechanism mm. is a really important part, right. but it's not an obvious part. You'll just be able to do cool stuff, mm. or my mom will just be able to do cool stuff that she couldn't do before, like you know maybe receive five percent interest on your deposits. Like right. what banks give her interest? Well, right. we could do that. Right. We can create a mechanism where we benefit from the world of staking mm. and investing and peer-to-peer -peer lending and all kinds of cool solutions that exist in the world of crypto. Mm. And we can apply it and offer it to regular folks who just uses the Mama app. And suddenly we can offer things like, you know, get interest on your on your deposits. And right. that, that's amazing in a country with negative interest rates like Denmark. <laughs> but things like these. And then if people want to know how does this work, naturally they can go and read. Mm. But today, if you want to do that, you need to get an Ethereum wallet mm. connected to some a metamask and through that use some kind of yeah. third-party system or access a, a distributed app where you can stake and exchange mm. and trade and, yeah. i mean try using uniswap if you're a regular yeah. fo regular person it's, right. it's, it's difficult yeah. but we can make those kinds of concepts available for the masses hmm. uh, and that's that's why mama and its payment ecosystem will you know 
be able to compete on a very high level with the other payment apps like Revolut and stuff because mm. it has a modular approach mm. where communities will build modules and extensions and the core application in itself is based on government money with no risk. So it's a little bit like WordPress. I come from the web and mobile development yeah. world, obviously here in Wideltern. And WordPress has, I think, they are more than one third of all websites mm. are built in yeah, WordPress yeah, today, like which is insane, right? Mm. I mean, imagine, you know, every, every third website that you visit is powered by WordPress. Yeah. And then the interesting thing is WordPress is obviously an open source CMS, content management system, where you as a developer, you can add plugins, you can add themes, you can add all these different things that makes up a website. Um, and then they have WordPress.com. So that WordPress.org and WordPress.com. Basically building uh, an easy way to set up a website. In your case, is setting up payments, basically. So they have the centerpiece around it. And then you can add all kinds of modules, plugins, themes, what have you. So is that similar, how Arise is thinking? Like, obviously within payments, but... Kind of, uh, yeah. You could say when you, when, you, when you get a WordPress site, and you go to the plugin market, you can, yeah. you can see all kinds of extensions that will enable your website to do more cool stuff. Mm. Um, in the realm of Mama, mm. what we imagine is that retail users like you and me mm. will have a basic app, kind of PayPal style, right. where deposits are kept one-to-one -one with central bank money. Right. And Dollars, then whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, well, well, in the case of, let's say, depositing dollar, it will be backed by the dollar. Yeah. Uh, the euro will be backed by euro, so so each currency will be backed by its sovereign okay. promise, so to speak. Nice. Um, now that in itself is a really cool product, mm. but that also enables us to say, well, sixty percent of the world is today unbanked of of, of adults on this planet, mm. and why are they? Well, they don't have a lot of money and a lot of ID, mm. so banks don't want them. They're too mm. pricey. Is it sixty percent of the world? Probably? It it was maybe it's a bit less now, but it's right. it's, it's those big numbers wow. of, of the adults in the world are, are underbanked and unbanked. Damn. Now, why why is that? Well, banks don't want them. They don't have a lot of money and they don't have a lot of identification, so they're a pricey client. You know, they're not right. gonna buy a boat and take a loan yeah. and all kinds of stuff, and they just want to keep their whatever, 40 forty, fifty, sixty dollars right. securely. Right receive some payments from Fiverr, from freelance work and mm. from driving Uber, mm. they can't. You know, take it out as cash and then they're not relevant. They're excluded from just having, having this, these bank accounts. And right. Arise aims to offer these individuals a bank account because fundamentally we're not dependent on the size of their capital to offer them lending and expensive credit uh, or whatnot. Mm. But we can actually through the through modules and through our association with the world of blockchain mm. these guys could these guys and girls could actually start investing as down as a dollar right or a few cents nice. and start receiving payments online for you know creating for the gig economy like creating a logo on fiverr and receive a five dollar deposit directly to your online bank account right. we want to enable these kinds of activities to the people who are today left out mm. because in five ten years you know they will be they will rise up and yeah. they will then be the ones you know dragging more newcomers into the into that realm right but we're not going to get all the unbanked people of today to get a paypal account and a, and a credit card and what they're gonna they're gonna jump they're gonna they're gonna do like uh m-pesa did right like it's a payment system in kenya based on telco and sms payments right it's hugely popular everyone uses it yeah. and these people are not going to go back 
to credit cards. They never had credit cards. Mm -hmm. They never had copper wires dug into the soil so they they can have terminals in their shops yeah that's a, that's a good analogy they're using the antennas to begin with and mm -hmm. when they're, they're jumping on a new platform rather than looking at Why the old stuff yeah. that's the issue with the most digital country in the world like denmark mm -hmm. yeah we're digital but we're analog and we're we're legacy we're we're digitized mm -hmm. using legacy, legacy solutions yeah. we're not looking into third generation solutions right. as much as other places are so the user experience will be, I deposit, let's say, $100 to the Mama app. What can I do then? So I have like PayPal or whatever, Revolut, whatever I deposit to. Then I can suddenly use other services that I wouldn't be able to use with PayPal. Is that the idea? Or? That's going to be, that's kind of the end game. Right. You and me, we're, we're, the, we're the last piece of the puzzle. Right. So let's say the world is unbanked. How mm. do we give them access to banking? <clears throat> Well, we need to know who these people are. Mm. How do we know who these people are? Well, we do so by associating ourselves with businesses right. that knows a lot of these people. Right. So our approach is a business to business to consumer strategy, mm. where we first will offer Mama Business, mm. our corporate banking solution based on digital cash. Mm. We will offer that for strategic certain a segment of clients that will be right now in the realm of NGOs right so we have an agreement in place with a branch organization which has given us access to a, a very large realm of NGOs from you know the Boy Scouts to the big global NGOs cool. and we have spent quite a lot of time in trying to understand the challenges that these organizations face and kind of paint a picture an overall picture right. to understand you know the f we know that fees are high. We know that the barriers are high. Mm. We know there's a lot of issues with payments, mm. but we wanted to explore how apparent those things are mm. for the companies in the world that try to do good. Because mm. that's where the high fees hurt the most, right? For the companies to try to do the best, True. Uh, or try to do good. So we, we really sunk our teeth into it. And there are, there are, I can give you an example. For example, let's say you want to enter you want to enable banking solutions for communities in the Philippines right. or Filipino sailors. Right. How would you do that? Fishermen in Fishermen the Philippines. Fishermen in the Philippines, right? right. Well, uh, there are organizations that hires or employs fishermen or sailors. Mask, they have, I think I read 100,000 sailors from, from the Philippines that work on their boats for a long period of time. Now, they're not fishermen, they're sailors. Right. But the way that these guys are getting paid is by cash when they dock in Miami. Mm -hmm. And they go to Western Union and then they wire the money back home to Manila or whatever family lives in the Philippines. And pay an obscure And the family goes and withdraws the money in cash. And then they have cash, which is insecure. And they have to figure out other solutions. Right. So they might download Grab, GrabPay, which is an app they use. And then they go to a shop and deposit the money into Grab. And Grab takes a small cut of that. So in the end, the person who should actually receive the money is in the case of remittance payments. Yeah. They, they lose so much of the money they should have received. In fees. Exactly. Yeah. So we have, we have various use cases that we're looking on mm. from uh, feeding bananas to orangutans in Borneo. This is some of the challenges that safety orangutan are oh. dealing with to 
you know, how do you pay the person who brings the face masks on a tuk-tuk in the Philippines who drives and you have to pay them or blankets for a hospital? Mm. How does Red Cross, how does an employee on the ground actually exit and get money that they can use to pay for the medicine that some person mm. brings? And we really try to understand these global challenges. Right. And we have designed a model where we initially go through the businesses and their needs. Mm. And then in the end, the incentive for you and me to enter the ecosystem it's will come pay. from the business. Yeah. So you and me will join Mama or Digital Cash when Red Cross says, donate $10 mm. using Digital Cash and we'll plant a tree in your name or mm. we'll use the savings to buy books for this child or whatever. Because any every single person that they recruit or convert into paying with Digital Cash would essentially be a saving, a, a huge saving nice. for Red Cross. Nice. So the modules, the extensions to the Mama ecosystem will be what convinces us and regular folks to download Mama. Nice. Not necessarily as core features, but because now you can like, you have your Oyster card or your travel card or your right. reward app or your whatever, you, have it, you can have it all in one place. Right. But each module can be an onboarding vehicle for its own segment of people right so in the case of for example the boy scouts mm. we have a hundred thousand kids going to the boy scouts that means a hundred thousand parents are paying monthly to the for the kids to go to the boy scouts yeah. and they are paying using credit cards and mobile pay and banks mm. and when we look into the challenges for for the boy scouts association of denmark mm. it's ridiculously expensive it used to be in cash so they actually used to make a bit of money uh, in the end after a, a trip with the kids right. but now they can barely make it because they have to pay all the fees to mobile pay right so imagine now if the boy scouts association told the parents dear dad dear mom would you mind paying in this app instead that's what we do with betailing service in Denmark. Right. You didn't opt into a betailing service. Somebody told you use this, and you're, all right, I need to pay my rent, so this is the option. True. Well, what if the Boy Scouts said like this is the option now? You have mobile pay, or we save five percent in fees if you use digital cash. Yeah. Would you mind? Yeah. Like who would mind? Nice. And all of these activities are not based around Denmark, mm. and they're not based around the fact that we need to invent them. It's a community-driven approach right. where Arise is already now members of the Philippine fintech organizations and the Armenians and the UK ones and the Danish ones. and We kind of have a presence all over the world. Mm. And the idea is to have country representatives or kind of jurisdiction managers in these locations which can scout for solutions that are there locally, right. which could make sense to have as a module right. Or to find ambassadors yeah. that can uh, connect with the universities so the students can start building modules. And the idea is to really create, like WordPress, mm. like WordPress doesn't invent these plugins. No. Other businesses do and communities do. Yeah. That's kind of the ideology and the mm. mindset. It reminds me a bit of PayPal, how they became massively successful. They basically made it very, very easy for merchants to integrate this pay now with PayPal. A button on a web shop and all that like they they focused and I, th I think still do mainly on internet shops and web shops and all that kind of stuff yeah. it's kind of the same as, as what you're saying um, what they also did though which I find quite interesting is um, they went out PayPal and raised an ungodly amount of money uh, I can't remember the amount but it was a lot back in the 90s when the mm -hmm. PayPal started out and what they did with that money was simply say okay 
we take this million i think it was 15 million dollars or something like that and we will go and give free sign up bonuses for anyone who signs up just putting an email and a password basically and give them in the beginning i think it was 100 dollars just for signing up then they dropped it to 50 <laughs> and then they had to drop it a little bit because everybody's like okay free money uh, let's let's sign up mm. but i think it was clever i mean obviously it became a massive success um because then not only did they have merchants that said okay we want to be people to be able to pay online obviously so they made it easy for me with this pay pay now with paypal but they also have the users mm. that actually has money sure the money comes from uh, vcs themselves. or whatever themselves but they actually have some traction yeah. and then what they did which i found you know that's where they really killed it is they they um, they partnered up with pay uh, not paypal ebay, eBay. and uh, kind of what you're saying like when you get these big organizations like the boy mm. scouts and stuff like, that's when you really start seeing like oh, okay i recognize mm. this mama app or rice organization or whatever it is and then you're off for the you know well that's something that strategy was something i think could be done back then mm. but now you have you have so many like revolut and right Mon monaco and the crypto app and you right. have, you have hundreds of crypto and, right. and non-crypto like fintech apps that are out there kind of that does the same thing as paypal does mm. so they back when they started you know, it was ex extremely revolutionizing what, what PayPal did. Mm. And it was maybe a way of kind of sticking it to the man, like right. showing the banks, now we can get a lot of users. And yeah. you know, it was being replicated in the world of ICOs and blockchains where people give, make airdrops or create bounty programs mm. and stuff to kind of incentivize users to join in. Right. That's, that's pretty cool, yeah. But in our model, the the reason that businesses would initially opt in mm. is because the savings compared to what they have today right. is phenomenal. Mm. And then something like, like weekend effects, like regular stuff. Mm. The, the banks are very analog. We tend to forget that sometimes. <laughs> but by offering a very modern online neobank mm. for, for these corporations, but one that is based on the fact that there's no risk involved. Mm. And when you look into, if you remove risk from the equation for a company like Pandora, right. That eliminates the need. The jewelry company. Yeah. yeah, and that eliminates their need to move money to the to the UK on Friday and then back where they need it on Monday because they don't trust pesos or whatever currency they keep it in. They don't trust the bank that keeps it over the weekend. Right. Like when we, when we look into these cash management activities that businesses have to go through and the hoops and loops they have to go, jump through to actually have what they need, mm. what we offer them is a very important solution. Like forget forget me and you, forget modules, forget everyone mm, sure. right now except these businesses that try to transfer money around the world. Mm. The savings that they face using ours are, are astronomical. They're phenomenal. Right. And then we, we can see, well, how can a business that has saved, say, 10% compared to last year, mm. well, why not spend 5% of those mm. towards scaling through a module, through mm -hmm. an uh, employee payouts plan, through an, uh, a, a campaign to get your top five businesses to enter digital cash because then now these five businesses can do business with each other free of charge almost mm -hmm. with no transaction fees and with right. instant settlements. Mm -hmm. So the, the incentive to recruit either your end users, your donors, your shoppers or your uh, supply Customers. chain right yeah that, that becomes very apparent right so for someone like super person when you mm. look into how does a, a coffee actually end up in a supermarket mm. there's like there's so many steps involved yeah. in that yeah. and and payments we, 
on every single step exactly <laughs> so we can figure out where's the smartest way to position ourselves is it mm. with the tea farmer or the coffee farmer mm. is it with the supermarket chain that mm. purchases a lot of stuff from all over the world mm. is it one of the middlemen one of the supply where is it smartest for our eyes to position ourselves right. and optimize something right. and the cool thing is that we're not going to invent all of these solutions ourselves Smart people working through our academy, our ambassador program, our university relationships, they are the ones who will think these thoughts. We just entered an agreement with a, with a university in the Netherlands, and we're doing innovation courses and blockchain courses. And all. When you hear the ideas that people come up with, it is based on challenges that they know and face. Mm. So like one of them is like, oh, my dad works in this and this. He told me about the hurdle that they have with this and this. Could we do this and this? I'm like, mm. yeah. Why don't you sink your teeth into this and look at this and look at this? And mm. suddenly the guy or girl has created an extension right. for let's say, a company like Sudexo, which has millions and millions of, high, of people that work with them. Yeah. Suddenly you have, you have a foot in. Nice. And that doesn't mean that Arise should be the one making the sale. Well, if a smart person from the, a Dutch school has made this happen, well, brand it, sell it, commercialize mm. it, run your own business based on digital cash. So not, not only are you bringing in the 60% of whatever the amount of people, uh, world population is, uh, and banking them, the unbanked becoming banked, you actually are enabling innovation and unleashing the potential that they have because they can build on top. Yes. So if we go to the Filipino FinTech Association and look at the 100 startups in there, mm. and we scout for five of them that make sense for us, and we make modules out of those five services, mm. then suddenly people, Filipino p kids and, and families and whatever, they have access to the services they're used to, mm. the tuk-tuk service they're used to, the bus ticketing service they're used to, the pay your rent like you're used to. Mm. Why? Well, because these extensions and, and, and proposals are designed and made by people in your community, mm. by your folks. In the same way, our association with, with uh, the Armenian blockchain associations, right. well, they're thinking like, how can we, there's a conflict now going on in Armenia, in, in Artsakh. Mm. And, they're, they're, some people yeah, are true. looking into how can we rebuild the churches that are being blown up right. how can we crowdfund rep reparations and how can we do different things we wouldn't maybe never have thought of that as a Danish company sitting in Copenhagen mm. but by having the association with these people yeah. we can say look you have a merchant account with us now you can issue dollars to a ledger mm. and then you can use that for a crowdfunding campaign or you can use this for this and that we, yeah. we need people to think for themselves yeah. knowing what tools they have available and that's i mean in a sense you're also building an app store right uh, it's a module we call it the modules payments. market yeah. yeah and the amount yeah. of innovation that has gone into you know app store on, on iphones and android i don't think steve jobs when he initially created the app store would imagine the amount of apps and crazy innovation yeah, that not. happened yeah. um, Maybe he did because he was a genius, but uh, it's pretty amazing to see, you know, just a few years after the App Store launched, then all, all of a sudden everybody was hailing a ride with their phone. I don't, I don't think, I think you're right. I don't think he could have comprehended to understand all of the apps that would be there today. Mm. Like uh, maybe he had some ideas. I'm sure he did. I also have some ideas. We mentioned a few like mm. lending modules, travel card modules, whatever it may be, mm. but you know, we honestly have no idea what kind of cool stuff people will design and build themselves and mm -hmm. what will suddenly become popular yeah. when people can just make extensions and solutions like this right mm. what 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 does it mean when you can suddenly send a dollar to a youtuber for free mm. like or a cent 
to a, to directly to a person and that yeah. person are given the tools to give you cash back or follow along or track me or whatever services yeah. that they want to offer as a module mm. when like on wordpress you can just click on BuddyPress, and then you have a facebook yeah. clone you True. have a social media platform you can then give to your 10 best friends and you have your own private social media site and the reason why i like the app store example actually more the more i hear about it arise the more i sort of get that uh, perspective because you have basically today banks that are heavily regulated not everybody can go out and create a bank basically and all the different features that goes into building a financial new kind of product but with something like arise blockchain and all these different things all of a sudden the barriers are dramatically lowered people have more access not only to actually do payments and transactions and all that but also build on top of it exactly just like the app store you know i i'm not going to build a phone and an app store and all the different you know plumbing that needs to go into all that but i can build an app on top of it mm -hmm. and all of a sudden innovation becomes completely unleashed exactly. um, and that's basically what you guys are yeah. uh, spearheading with this just around payments mm -hmm. instead of mobile phone basically yeah that's pretty cool and I mentioned about funding also on, on PayPal before. Um, the raise, I think, these $15 million or whatever. You also had the first ICO in Arise. Um, I can't remember the year, but uh, a few years back maybe. Something like uh, that. 18? 18, yeah, two years ago. Probably, so the yeah. first ICO in Denmark. Yeah. Um, how was that? Like, Tell us about that, uh, that journey, I'm sure. It's never easy to be first, right? Mm. So. <laughs> well, we started raising uh, or, or planning the ICO um, you know, quite early on and wanted to do it proper. Mm. And Arise has always considered our, ourselves a not a, like an anarchistic, hardcore tech company. Right. No, we want to operate as a regulated financial institution. So we follow the rules. Mm. And that, does, that also means that when you raise money, there are certain prospectus laws that you need to abide by. You can't just raise money without involving the authority so to speak mm. and following the rules there's mm. a lot of you know i can't just market any anything to the people especially not if it's a financial instrument right. and what we saw in the world of icos is that nobody cared all kinds of companies just created tokens and released them and raised money millions of dollars hundreds of millions of dollars some sometimes you know it was insane mm. it was a file coin in three hours raised i don't know crazy insane amounts of money mm we knew that that's not a healthy and sustainable way of operating we knew that there were that's not going to be permitted in the real world of, mm. of finance mm. so we thought all right well we can we want to make a token sale there are plenty of reasons for having a token sale mm. and it makes sense for our business and our, our the way we pay our dividends and stuff mm. but we did it as a regulated sale mm. so we we designed a pre-sale only sending our white paper to the amount of people that we we're permitted to do so mm. 150 people or something like that like uh, is it one of those old rules when you have if you have an investment right. opportunity you would send like a like probably a dove or a letter or a horse or something to 100 people and they would like <laughs> yes i have received your offer sir like you know but i but shall invest i shall invest <laughs> i have seven horses and a goat you know so but these kinds of things are still are still in place today to, right. to a certain degree right. so like even in a crypto group of 14,000 people, I haven't made a post offering rice tokens to anybody. Because it would be illegal. It would be illegal. Right. In my own group that I fostered and created. It's fucked up, man. 
And I know that because the Danish FSA and SCAT are in that group. They told me. <laughs> We're at a meeting. It's kind of fun. They told me that they have... It would, they said spies, but it's kind of funny because we know who they are, right? But they have members in... Right. in but, our, but is that because it's, a, it's not crowdfunding then? Because if I was to create, I don't know, a glass or whatever product that I want to put on Kickstarter, I can promote it like crazy. So it's because I'm selling a product and not selling equity. Is yeah. that the difference? Kind of, yeah. You could say that. Right. Uh, you could say that there's a, there's diff- it's, it's different when you look at crowdfunding because you're actually offering uh, a product which mm. hasn't been built yet right or like entry to a park which hasn't been built yet right or uh, but a rice hadn't been built either so yes but what we were selling in itself mm. is very it reminds of a financial instrument because we use it to pay our dividends to shareholders and there is a commitment of a buyback when we earn revenues half of our gross profit goes towards buying back our own token and burning it so like a constant dividend payment Mm -hmm. and as soon as you talk about an increase in price Mm -hmm. and you project what might happen with the token price then you're moving into the realm of of financial instruments Mm -hmm. so we couldn't just say well it's a you know whoever has the coin can use our app for free like maybe we could have done something like that, but that that's not the essence of the point of, of the rise token like right. that. Um, but we constructed it in a way that, you know, we we're close with the Danish FSA. They had a look at our white paper. We mm. did it. We completed it. We got we raised some money, some early pre-seed money, mm. uh, which has then, you know, been what we what we have had the, the few years, the last two years to, to, you know, build and conceptualize and scale and have important partnerships in place and, you know, really pinpoint every element of our business strategy. Like right. from what are we doing? Who are we doing it with? How mm-hmm. does it work? Who are the first clients? Where mm-hmm. are we regulated? Who regulates us? What, what do we do legal? How do we do accounting? Mm-hmm. Can we do this from Denmark? Mm-hmm. All of these things I mean, have had been kind of ticked off mm. and now we're about to enter a 15 million dollar raise like so let's mm. hope that we also do it like paypal did yeah uh, which is which is again <laughs> that struck- seems to be the golden number for everybody 15 million dollars that's what you need you know, to scale <laughs> well it's a, it's, it's, it's more of a com- coincidence i think that it, it matched the exact exact same amount but because mm. all of the 15 that we need are are accounted for for why we need Right. that exact amount it's not just an amount that we try to fit the stuff into no right. we have the stuff that we try to figure out what the amount would be to... what do you need the amount for can you talk about that or is it I, the... yeah absolutely yeah. you know there's a technology is not cheap and especially bank grade yeah. cloud native hosted with best in class data centers right. it's not a cheap solution no. but it's what's needed to build something that operates in the real world and speaks mm-hmm. the languages of, blo- of uh, banking networks and card schemes and mm-hmm. all these things right um so uh, technology costs some. Uh, mm. We have an agreement in place with a company called Episode Six, mm. uh, which is a very important key player in this. And we have an agreement. Uh, we've been working with IBM for some time now, mm. and we will be utilizing their developers and their environment right. to host and build uh, the the various components. And IBM powers the majority by far, I think, of financial. That's why we looked today. into IBM uh, to begin with because right. they fa- their main. Their mainframe facilitates a very large percentages of, of transactions and banking traffic today. Mm. Um, Makes sense. And then another important part of this is um, the uh, the licensing, naturally. Right. So obtaining a bank license. Compliance legislation. Yeah. Yeah. And the you know, long story short, we have a, a 
an acquisition model in place where rather than obtaining a banking license from zero mm. as an unknown Danish company, mm-hmm. what we do is we purchase enough of an existing bank. Right. So the majority. The majority yeah. of an existing bank, which today operates in a quite analog way, but has the proper processes in place and mm. is a regulated bank. Mm. And what we would then do is essentially convert this into becoming the compliance center for the, that jurisdiction. Right. But what it enables us to do is to build this neo bank around that license. Yeah. So our road to market will be phenomenally faster than if we had to do the whole revolute model, yeah. like where you take so, each step at a time. But this is a instantly scalable solution based on the US dollar from the get go. Right, so you buy, for example, a U.S. bank, so you have uh, people depositing dollars. I guess they can receive also euros, or is it only dollars? We have a strategy for the five first five currencies, mm-hmm. but the dollar is, is the one that is currently in focus right, right now. Right. Then there are various ways of enabling the FX from dollars to other currencies, right. and we can support some other currencies directly through an e-money license and an extension through other banks. Mm-hmm. That then leads back to our main bank, our own right. U.S. bank. So there, there are some constructs that needs to be set in place to, to you know, fully support multiple currencies. Mm. But we have a 15 currency strategy over the three-year pl- launch plan. Okay. So the first five are, you know, we have the dollar, we focus on the euro and pound, and right. then we look into, I believe, it's Mexican pesos and Polish sloty. Right. That's kind of the short list right now. Right. Um, again because of remittances and the need for for example migrant workers in mm. eastern europe mm. to to receive payments from uk companies and uh, rupees is really important and mm. south african rand is really important mm. and but we kind of have this live prioritization yeah, list where it, it can move and it can change before, so it's not fully set in stone yeah except the dollar yeah that's it Nice. So you're basically going on a shopping spree, buying banks so you can support all these different currencies and then have everybody use the app uh, for doing these transactions on whatever blockchain that they want to choose to use. Yeah, either using our own Mama ecosystem, if that's you know familiar and easy to use, for, for you can use that. But mm. for it's important to have that link to the world of blockchains mm. because then you give the tools that developers need, mm. that thinkers need, to build new stuff right like if you took the tether dollar and then you build something for your university cantina where everybody can pay using a cbs coin you mm. make a cbs coin where Copenhagen business school yeah like yeah. one cbs coin equals 0.1 tether dollar so right. you kind of have a price pegged to the tether dollar right now you scale this and the cantina realized well Oh, this is cheaper for us than paying mobile pay. <laughs> we can do this and we can settle once a month by mm. selling, you know, or doing something. So let's say that mm. a smart person from CBS builds this, mm. launches it with CBS, mm. sells it to Harvard and Oxford and all mm. the schools on the planet, all the cantinas in the world starts using this. Nice. They wouldn't mm. because the tether dollar can go away. Mm. So there's risk because where's the money? Mm. It's in a bank in Taiwan somewhere. Mm. So we need to give a version of cash which is not insecure to these smart people or else they're not going to be because today you're bound you can use bitcoin or ethereum or one of the hundred stable coins which are all risky right you don't have then you have dai Mm. dai is really interesting Mm. but it's still a cryptocurrency it's very abstract to understand and and exit and use and prevent you know 
the average Joe is not going to use that. The average cash. Joe is not going to use it. But by offering digital cash through developer licenses mm. to, let's say, ambassadors, we call them Arise ambassadors, mm. they might start conceptualizing how a CBS coin could look. Right. They might end up with a module to Mama, or they might end up with a complete white label solution based on Ethereum and whatever they want to do. Mm. They just need the liquidity being provided in a format which is 100% secure mm. so that you can actually scale your business. Because right. right now all the stable coins are just in and outs. Mm. You use it to, you, you, you enter, you buy Tether, and then you buy whatever you need. Yeah. You don't hold it. Right. This will be the first thing that you can actually hold more securely mm. than exiting to your bank account. Mm. You, would, you would do it the other way. You would exit to digital cash because mm. it's so much more secure than your bank account would be in terms of credit risk right. and market risk. I see that. I definitely agree that liquidity is one of the big reasons why people use stablecoins like Tether, Pax, whatever they're called. But I also see with the, the most recent DeFi wave that we've seen especially here in 2020 and people deposit dollars uh, make it into tether um, basically put dollars on the blockchain and then they deposit to something like celsius or nexo or whatever mm. all these different DeFi companies and they earn a high yield a high interest rate i think uh, celsius if i remember correctly they they offer like some 10 percent or something like that on uh, on tether dollars mm. basically do you see this happen in general? Uh, are you, is Arisa also looking into this? Like basically I mean, the whole DeFi space, which has yeah, exploded. Yeah, it's like, it's like, I, I, we briefly touched upon it a little bit before, but having the link to Ethereum enables us mm. to issue, say, E-Dollar, E-USD, mm. called E-USD, uh, onto Ethereum. But it also enables us to have the tools and, and, and solutions on Ethereum being kind of interoperable with the E-Dollar. Right. So it goes both ways liquidity with Arise can work on third-party systems and third-party solutions can work inside our framework. Mm. So that two-sided thing is really important because yeah. we can make DeFi solutions available for the average Joe, but it won't be all the DeFi solutions out there like it is when you access it directly through Ethereum. Yes. So we could offer whatever we want to offer to our users inspired by the world of DeFi and even sometimes based on the world of DeFi. So the fact that you can get 10% of your tether, fantastic. Now, you need you, you got to somewhat trust Celsius, but there's a lot of DeFi where you don't need to trust Celsius. You trust the system, right? So where you trade towards other smart contracts. Yeah. You offer compound, the and there's a few decentralized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm I'm not the like hugely into that, but essentially you can get the Celsius effect without Celsius. Like right. you can get it hardcore blockchain yeah. online. Um, open source distributed without a central point of Celsius. Yeah. Um, Do you think DeFi is in a bubble? Do you think it's uh, overhyped at this point? I think that the, I think that we are going to see a future in just a few years mm -hmm. where Arise will be offered, able to offer you, for example, interest on your deposits in Mama. Mm -hmm. Like, and we will be able to do so. Uh, for example, saying they say you get your salary in three days, but you got five thousand dollars in your account, like a thousand dollars in your account. Right. Why not lock eighty percent of those up for three days, mm. receive whatever something in return, mm. and that can be done by, for example, off offering this as liquidity for a trader that wants to go long on something or right. want to short something. Mm. So you can there there are ways where you can based on trading cryptocurrencies. Mm 
lock up or stake existing assets and then receive a form of interest rate like you see in the world of DeFi, where you can offer liquidity uh, to to certain traders and liquidity pools mm. and then you get a certain percentage of the 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 fees associated with the trade is go uh, falls back on you depending on how much liquidity you actually provided right so i think that if i trusted tether fully mm. And I wasn't bound to Celsius, which is also a company. Right. I would use those kinds of solutions as my primary bank. Right. But there is still risk with Tether. There's still risk with Celsius. So mm-hmm. that's why I have a bank in Denmark, a mm-hmm. regular good old bank. Mm-hmm. But imagine now if you had a good old bank, but this bank said, look, we're a bank. We're regulated as a bank, mm-hmm. but we don't do any lending. And then they show their solvency is backed one to one using third party global trusted auditors. No fractional reserves. No yeah. So mm-hmm. now I have a bank, but I have a very secure bank, mm-hmm. very secure bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from there, you know, it can, it can only grow because the opportunities and the possibilities that you can, once you are into this system mm-hmm. will be phenomenally faster and more agile than say extensions to Revolut where you have uh, conciliar service, you have lounges, you have whatever, hotel, right. 5% on hotels, and you have something else, right? right. So it's whatever Revolut wants to offer you, you can do. Yeah. But this is whatever the community wants to make available can be made available, and you have the liberty to opt in and opt out mm. out of solutions. Mm. I imagine that when, a, when a, somebody from Germany comes to Copenhagen, mm. they should just receive a notification saying, hey, welcome to Copenhagen. Mm. Activate Reisekodel, activate mobile pay, activate uh, uh, DOT, the mm. bus ticketing app, mm. and activate Co-op, the supermarket uh, chain, so you get 5% back. Mm. Like, enable the welcome to Denmark bundle. Mm. And now you are integrated into the services that we use here. Mm. When I go to Kenya, I should get an M-Pesa module saying hey join mpesa make payments through mpesa welcome to kenya mm. or whatever bus ticketing service they use mm. so having that where i can opt into a service and then i can opt out again yeah. i can opt into a lending provider and i can opt out again i can mm. opt into a travel card and i can opt out again right and that it's like keeping a card in your physical wallet right it's like a membership card you put it in your wallet and you throw it out right. so we really we designed a wallet like a physical wallet mm. uh, and digital cash like the values behind cash mm. so you can hold all your your extensions in your wallet mm. like your fitness world membership card your gasoline card and you can opt out again by throwing the card out you, now i don't have now i'm not a member anymore right kind of that mindset i think is, is really important to to offer that kind of agility and imagine the competition now that you have Say you have six or seven Scandinavian lending companies that all wants to offer you the best interest rate to give you a loan right. through their modules. Yeah. And then you kind of put Lendino, Lendit, mm-hmm. Nodea, and another lending provider up towards each other. Right. Like who can actually give you the best loan? Yeah. And, and, and I think competition is extremely healthy. Yeah. That's what comes with innovation typically. Transparency and a lot of competition, which all benefits the end consumer. But the more I hear... The more I talk to you, basically, Jack, you're, you're known to many people as Bitcoin Jack. But the more I talk to you, the more I realize that you're actually pushing uh, more for stable coins. It seems like you don't you're not talking like for this past hour and whatever hour and a half that we've been talking. 
you haven't mentioned that you're introducing in Arise your own cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. You don't really advocate for buying Bitcoin like most other people would do uh, who are working in the same space as you. But is that true? Are you sort of looking towards a world where, listen, we have existing uh, currencies. There's no need to create new currencies. What we need to do is to make the payment systems, which is what you guys are working on, more easy, democratic, accessible uh, to people. I like the new currencies. I like Ethereum, Ether. Mm. I like Bitcoin. Mm. But we got plenty now. We don't need any more new currencies. True. What we need to do is make the old currencies as smart as the new ones so that they speak the same language. I still believe in the grand vision of cryptocurrencies mm. and true cryptographic money. Mm. I still think I, I think that money, the way it works today, is not going to last for a long time. Mm. But I do acknowledge that we need a stepping stone towards this new economy. Right. And that comes with making dumb money smart. Because once money is digitized, it can function on the same systems as the smart money can, as the new kind of money can. Mm -hmm. And it can work interoperably with these systems. Right. Are we using dollar-backed currencies in 10 years? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Not necessarily. Mm -hmm. That's why the Mama app is designed as a multi-asset modular app. Right. You're not married to either We're fiat or crypto. No. It doesn't matter. So we really will matter. support deposits that will be converted to digital cash. Right. But there's nothing preventing us from adding new currency support like Bitcoin or Ethereum. Mm. And gradually we would be able to add various tokenized instruments, mm. stocks and shares and electricity and rent and whatever you want to add to, to this multi-asset environment. Right. But the first asset needs to be money and it needs to be done in a way where it's scalable. Because the stable coins of today are not, as, as you explained before, it's an in and out. Right. But we need to have something you can hold, mm. something that you can lock up for five years in a smart contract. Right. If you're a business that has a 10-year plan with another company or a five-year plan, mm. and you want to lock it up and say every year we release a tenth of the funds mm. or a, a fifth of the funds, you can't really do that today. There's no place to keep your cash safe for a long period of time. Mm. We offer that place. And then you can move it to Ethereum and build the escrow solution that you need. Mm. Put a smartphone on a, on a ship and, and make a, a command, a script that says release half of the funds when 80% of the journey has been traveled mm. and the remaining percentage when it docks in the harbor. Right. Those kinds of systems are thought by innovative people who are hired at the Mask Innovation Lab and at NITS Innovation and whatever, and whoever they be. Innovators mm. exist. Yeah. They just don't have the tools. Yeah to make these things a reality. Because you say to them, yeah, just lock up four Bitcoins for three years. Mm. Can't really do that. Like, what would the price be after three years? Would it be more or less? And what is it? Is it regulated in three years? Can we... What do you think the price of Bitcoin is going to... Like, right now, this is 20th of November. Bitcoin's price is like 18,000 and something. Uh, <laughs> it seems to be, you know, 2017 all over again. We. <clears throat> seen dramatic increases in Bitcoin and, and all the other coins. Where do, you, where do you think we're going with all this in terms of uh, price and adoption? Those two things go hand in hand, I think. Where do you see us going from here? And with the new currencies, not the fiat currencies. I think we're going to see $12,000 before we see 22. 20,000, okay. Before 2020. I think it's going to, no. Before 
Bitcoin hits a price of twenty thousand or twenty two thousand dollars, right. it's gonna see a drop to almost ten thousand, I think. Okay. So you see I think this this current to as of today, the price of seventeen, eighteen thousand, I think it's gonna adjust. Right. But so, I do think that we're gonna surpass the twenty thousand mark again. What do you think is gonna drive that drop? Is that uh, people just cashing out from Bitcoin after they made a lot of money or is it something else? Every time I hear about the Bitcoin price now, like, wow, it's high. It drops mm. every time, mm. every time <laughs> when it hit a thousand dollars, it dropped, mm. hit ten thousand dollars, it dropped, hit twenty thousand dollars, it dropped. Right. Now it's about there again. It will go. Uh, so, you know, maybe this mm. is another wave and it might surpass the 20 and then the next milestone might be 40,000 or something like that or 30,000, whatever the psychological barrier will be at that point. Right. But this way of having a 17, $18,000 price tag on it. Maybe it's a response to the way that governments just print money like crazy. Mm. Maybe it's a response to Corona. Maybe it's mm. a response to Fedcoin and Libra. I don't know, but the right. response is too quick. Right. So it feels whenever something ri rises thousands and thousands of dollars in a short time, yeah. it seems somewhat fabricated yeah. or manipulated yeah. or somewhat intangible. Yeah. So you think it's going to drop and then bounce back? Yeah, in a few. I think we're gonna see the same kind of tendency, yeah. like uh, up and down and up and down and up and down, until, uh, with the same growth curve yeah. until you know. Same p positive trend, basically. Yeah, overall positive trend. Right. I, we talked about it on the phone before. But yeah. I also think that we'll see a hundred thousand dollar Bitcoin price tag at some point. Right. But when we do, I'll be the same way as I'm. I'm like, oh, shit. You spent too much money yeah, yeah. back in 2014. I don't see myself going and buying a lot of Bitcoin now to jump the train on being on the $100,000 journey. Right. I, I just follow it on the sideline. I think it's right. phenomenal. I think it's interesting. Right. And I, I don't think it's going to be a day-to-day -day currency. No. I don't see supermarkets ever accepting Bitcoin payments. I, I like that Bitcoin is expensive to move mm. it, and it requires a lot of computing power and it's a heavy instrument. Right. It's like gold. If you want to move a brick of gold, you also need an armored truck and then some employees and you need some security, you need a gun, you need a vest, yeah. you need bulletproof glass. It's a heavy instrument to move around. And I think it's fine that Bitcoin is a heavy instrument to transfer around. Electronic gold. Yeah, it's I think it's electronic gold. I don't mm. think that you should transfer it constantly. Mm. I think you should use it for it, the value it represents. Mm. So like putting it in escrow, locking it up to buy your house right. or whatever you want to, you know, where you transfer it once, you pay $20, which is high, very high fees in the world of Bitcoin, right. but then it's done and then you don't move it again. Right. So it's basically a savings, like the, the Bitcoin as a currency would be a savings. Uh, yeah, or instrument. a hedging element. Like right. you can also, you can also use Bitcoin as the liquidity towards other projects, right? So it's true. backed by a liquidity pool, which contains Bitcoin, for example. So it maybe be the underlying, mm liquidity right. it will be it will be a decentralized liquidity provider right like a collateral for buying whatever yeah yeah so you don't hold bitcoin what excites you what coin excites you if any is there anyone um, I'm, I'm really fascinated by our own rice token of course because we spend a lot of energy on trying to design it in a nice way makes sense but it's um because the rice token we have is very it reminds you of kind of the, uh, the real world so when you look at Tiuli Gardens, which you have a beautiful view of right here, uh, if you have shares in Tiuli, you get the annual Tiuli card for free. Yeah, it's like a membership thing if you have stocks. In it. So you know you can you if you want to sell your shares, you still have to go through exchanges, and it's a it's, it's a 
difficult, sure. but you get some kind of member advantage. Right. What we have is a token. We use it to raise the capital that we need, so we have an instantly scalable solution. But what we then do is we make this token available for, for trading on regulated exchanges, mm. and through various broker-dealer setups, we make this we can offer two-way prices on this token, like mm. buy and sell prices, to users of Mama. Mm. So suddenly people who use Mama can just opt in to receiving tokens, rise tokens, like receiving shares. Mm. That means that we can offer campaigns, saying if uh, get a credit card, cost $15 or whatever to your Mama app, so you can withdraw digital cash from an ATM. Let's mm. say that costs 15 bucks. We might say, pay, uh, why don't you buy rise tokens for half of that, and after nine months, it's released back to you mm. or something like that. Instead of spending $5, why don't you buy $5 of RISE tokens and, and you have that. Like you get that instead, yeah. instead of spending money. Right. Well, if a million people says yes to that, we uh, to a $5 yes. Mm. Well, that means that we have $5 million worth of RISE tokens on the underlying exchange and mm. we get a million new shareholders in a RISE. Yeah. And that, that means that the tokens that are bought and locked up mm. are not a part of our dividend and burn mechanism. Mm. So we, as I mentioned before, some of our revenues, half, goes towards buying back the rice token and burning it. Mm. But the ones that are on lockup are not being burned. Mm. So we have two, two elements in this. What can we, how can we create incentives by having people locking up rice tokens and then we give them something in return? And what does that mean for the remaining rice tokens that are then in the market and the price of that. So it's a it's a very fun right. uh, financial instrument that is similar to dividend payments and stock repurchase programs and kind of the real world of doing finance, mm. but it has some of the agility that you see behind staking and 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 some of the things you can do with crypto coins. Right. So I think it's I think it's a really cool one. But I'm a fan of Bitcoin. Mm. I always will be. Other coins that are. Uh, other than a rise, than rise, rise coin is that what you call it? Yeah, we call it rise token. Rise uh, token. Yeah. But again, it, and it's is it something that uh, anyone can buy on an exchange, or how how is it distributed? Right it now? will be. Yeah. Uh, right. So we have a listing agreement with a UK securities exchange called okay. Artrex. They're okay. one of the first uh, companies in the world to actually receive an FCA approval mm. uh, to operate a securities exchange. Right. So we will be listing with them. Uh, on the so it's UK. not a crypto exchange. Or? It is a security. And it's an STO exchange. Right. So it's a it's a crypto exchange where they only li list regulated instruments. Right. So you won't see any weird coins and stuff like that. It's not, it's not that kind of a <laughs> no file coins. <laughs> well, no, I don't think so. Um, step one is having that listing in place on a regulated platform, mm -hmm. so institutional traders can purchase and. Uh, trade and rise right. and then through various broker dealer setups we can make the coin available for average people mm. that's kind of the the intention the rise token mm. but the rise token is not what would be used to conduct payments it's not the digital cash backing it's like a stock right it's an element that we use to raise money in an agile way and and give an exit opportunity to the early investors you know not after four or five years of listing on nasdaq but you know mm six seven months after listing on our track right so that's a that's a really really cool way of uh bridging the gap kind of because we want tr traditional investors and regular regular vcs and, and the, the world from the real world yeah from the fiat world yeah. yeah i think 
the headline is basically the bridge between fiat and crypto blockchain or whatever we call it yeah which i think is fascinating i mean anyone who who manages to do that successfully they are going to be you know on top i think and not necessarily on top but just included in everything that goes on uh, they will facilitate everything a lot of things that goes on because right now there seems to be a war going on i think between fiat and crypto you know people just blaming each other for whatever corrupt thing that goes on but in reality we're all fighting for the same thing we just want easy payments you know fast cheap everybody included you know we don't want people who needs to be unbanked like it's also I don't in think the we all want the same thing we want the same thing i don't think they want the same thing i don't the think bankers? Do- yeah i think deutsche bank and bank of america wants that no no they what would have, they, or else they, they would have done it like do you think western mm. union wants lower fees no they like their high fees they want to make money yeah so it's a battle between the good and the bad. Mm. It's, it's a battle between the new and the obsolete. Mm. Right. So you think the legacy providers, let's call them that? There's also all the ones in between. Mm. Like, I don't think the Revolut is a bad intention. Right. But I just think that if you see the, the, the abstracts, like eat both ends, I think that there are plenty of bad intentions. Right. Yeah, I mean, of course, there are definitely incumbents that sits on yes. top of the hill and wants to stay, stay yes. like make sure that it stays that way. But that's like any other industry, like uh, anyone who tries to disrupt an industry like the payment industry, they will they will face hardship and challenges from the incumbents. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the incumbents will go away. Yeah. Like if they like, don't want to adopt. Like always. Yeah. Like, uh, that, that's, it's the same battle like you had with the anti-piracy group in Denmark. Right. They lost. Why? Because the tech behind piracy was so fucking good mm. and it worked mm. and you couldn't stop it. Yeah. Adopt that, or die. Adopt or die. Mm. Spotify adopted. Mm. Netflix adopted. Mm. All of these companies are now running a similar kind of distributed network where mm. you stream from the nearest location to you. Mm. They, got in, they adapted, they changed it and they created something better and smarter than the Pirate Bay. And now people jumped on that, mm. but, but you're not some... gonna. But, but they, they, the anti anti privacy group didn't win or prevent piracy. No, they they lost. They said, "Oh, I can't do this," but they tried to fight it. Yeah. And it's kind of a. It's not really the same thing, but it's kind of the same thing because sure. you have the big banks that try to fight innovation, to try to hinder all of the cool stuff that goes on, right. calling it illegal, calling it supporting terrorism, calling it then that, but not looking into the phenomenal fact that you can now share value globally. That's what that's what uh, torrenting did with data. You can share mm. data globally, distributed. But it was like, no, it's illegal movies. Yeah. What would Hollywood do? Like, forget Hollywood for a second and let's try to understand how fantastic this is, mm. this technology is. But there seems to be incumbents like JP Morgan with the JP Morgan yeah, coin yeah. that is actually trying trying to at least yeah, embrace absolutely. the uh, technology. Absolutely. I don't know if they will be successful in it, um, but that's a, a discussion for another day, yeah. I guess. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, I think it's equally healthy that you have the hardcore crypto anarchists mm. as well as having uh, the central bank Chinese surveilled digital currency. Mm. Let's have both. Let's have both abstracts and let's land somewhere in the middle. 
which is what you guys are trying to do yeah to try to learn from both nice. right there's some things that doesn't make sense in the world of crypto this like all right well so you create your own stable coin mm-hmm. you back it up with four or five different cryptocurrencies and you mm-hmm. issue some kind of stable coin mm-hmm. well how do you do proof of funds on mm-hmm. the liquidity in the contract mm-hmm. well you can't well mm-hmm. that means that you're never going to re- get red cross to use your liquidity pool well why because you can't prove that child pornography and terrorism and drug awesome. sale right. is not where the money came from mm-hmm. so sure. there are just some things that yeah it's cool it works technologically like making a car that goes 400 kilometers an hour. You can build it, it's cool, but you're not going to get to drive it in a road. It's not going to receive adoption. No, no, it's not going to receive adoption. You're not going to be permitted to. Mm. So to all the crypto people out there, look, stop dreaming, right? Let's make Mm. a difference. Mm. Let's make a difference today where it is. I can't keep waiting and dreaming for some fantastic solution. Like, Mm. sure, it's cool that we have an anonymous creator creating a cryptocurrency on a nine page white paper releasing it to a bunch of nerds and then it just enters the ecosystem and mm-hmm. we're like wow this is fantastic yeah mm-hmm. it's fantastic mm-hmm. but look a decade has passed yeah. and you still if you compare it to the liquidity behind real estate yeah. or the liquidity to see behind some of these bills and bonds that we have available is nothing it's mm-hmm. not even worth mentioning right so so come on let's let's get it out in the real world Amen to that. Right. <laughs> how, how do people find you, Jack? How do people find you online, on social media, or whatever you use? Well, if you find somebody with my, with, who has my first name and my last name, who is not me, that, that would be weird. That would like, be impossible. I, as, to, as far as I know, there are not a few Jack Nikogosians. Uh, that combination. Is, <laughs> but so where are you active then? Are you active on LinkedIn, Twitter? LinkedIn. LinkedIn, and LinkedIn and I, I have an Instagram as well. If you, right. If, I never use it, but, uh, but right. people can stalk me if they want. But uh, <laughs> LinkedIn, our website, our uh, our blog, we do a lot of cool content on that. On the so Arise.io. Arise.io. Arise. And uh, from there, you know, you have the links to all of these other channels. Awesome. Uh, LinkedIn, for me, uh, people want to follow me and write to me. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm easy to locate on LinkedIn. Nice. Well, thank you so much, Jack, for coming thank in. Thank you, Mark. It's been fun. Pleasure. Thank you.